Well, we've been in this series called For Crying Out Loud, and we've been looking at how our prayers can ascend to God in a more powerful way. How many of you saw hot air balloons today? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I love Labor Day weekend in Colorado Springs because you'll see dozens of hot air balloons just gently arising into the heavens. And it reminds me of what took place here this past Wednesday night. We had a prayer and worship service, and all across this room, prayers were just ascending upward to God, and it's a powerful experience when you're a part of that. God has been stretching me in my approach to prayer. He's been teaching me some new lessons to improve my prayer life. Now, I'm not an expert in prayer by any stretch of the imagination. I can tell you that I prayed for people who, who are sick, and they didn't get well. And I prayed for marriages to be healed, and they weren't healed. And I prayed for wisdom in certain decisions and found out that I made the wrong decision. That's happened when I prayed. But I can also tell you with all my heart this. I have prayed for people to be healed, and sometimes they are, miraculously. I prayed for God to provide for some need in a miraculous way. And I've seen God step through with unknown resources to meet that need. I've cried out, cried out to God for wisdom in writing a sermon or in some decision to make. And I've received a, a guidance from God that's beyond myself that I wouldn't have even thought of that came from the Lord. I've had enough experiences in my life that I have seen God answer prayer. And, and that's what propels me to want more. If God can do this, and I obviously know this wasn't just coincidence, this was God, then let's get more of it. Instead of having, say, a 50% batting average in prayer, can we get up to 75%, 80%, 90%? Can it get better? Are there things I need to work on to make prayer better? Because, honestly, some of us have reached a place where God hasn't responded and we just feel like prayer doesn't work. But I'm here to tell you, prayer does work. Prayer works when we work at prayer. Prayer works when we work at prayer. Serious prayer is not for the casual Christian. It is work. I love what Oswald Chambers says in his little book called The Holy Occupation. He says, The job of every Christian is to pray, plain and simple. Yet we want to do more than simply pray. We want to do something important for God. We want to be someone important to Him. We want to build. We want to mobilize. We want to show our strength and exert our influence. Prayer seems like such a small thing to do, next to nothing at all, in fact. But that's not what Jesus said. To Him, prayer is everything. It's a duty as well as a privilege, a right as well as a responsibility. We use prayer as a last resort. Jesus wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do. Jesus wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Then he writes at the close of his introduction, prayer is our business, our only business. Prayer is our holy occupation, plain and simple. And being Labor Day week, and we think about our rest from our labors, this idea that prayer is our occupation, our job, is maybe a new concept to you. But I want to challenge you today to make it your holy occupation, that you would work at prayer until prayer is working so powerfully in your life. And I want to share with you today a verse that I think epitomizes this whole idea of working at prayer. Um, And I think it's going to challenge you as it's challenged me. But before we do, I want to ask you, would you be willing to let God speak to you today? Would you invite the Holy Spirit to shine a light on your heart and stretch you? Because if you're like me, you grew up learning patterns of prayer that have just stuck with you. And not that they're bad, It's just sometimes they hinder our prayers because that's all we know. For example, I was taught to close my eyes, fold my hands, bow my head, and pray quietly. Now, those are are good prayers. Those, Those prayers are heard by God. But when I read Scripture, I find out that most prayers are prayed by someone whose eyes are open, looking to heaven, 
and that their voice is being raised out loud. They're not quiet. In fact, most of the words used for prayer are words like call on the Lord, cry out to the Lord. It's speaking to him. In fact, one of the greatest passages that describes Jesus' prayer life says that he was heard because his fervent prayers came up to God with loud cries and tears. And I realized, you know, my prayers are, are rarely like that. Maybe that's why sometimes my prayers feel kind of weak and ineffective. So let's pray that God would speak to us today, stretch us, and make us work hard at prayer. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you want to grow us in this area of prayer. I thank you that you promise to do miraculous things in our lives in response to prayer, Father. So help us just to keep growing, Father, and get better, to really put the effort in to work at this incredible privilege we have called prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians. It's a letter written by Paul when Paul was in prison. And in this letter, Paul is writing to a church, and every once in a while, Paul will throw out these names of companions who accompanied him on his missionary journeys. And they're, they're guys, typically, that we know very little about, except he'll describe them with very rich terms. Like, like in Colossians chapter 1, he talks about this man named Epaphras, and he calls him a faithful servant. He calls him faithful servant. And, he, and when he comes to chapter 4, he brings his name up again in verse 12. He says this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now listen to that. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. This idea that prayer is wrestling has really intrigued me because I, I don't know if we picture prayer like that. I think we picture prayer as something just a casual conversation with the Lord. Why is it called wrestling? Why is it, why is it pictured as such, such a, a difficult thing? Why, why is he wrestling? And who is he wrestling with? Well, I want to spend a few moments walking through that with you. What does it mean to wrestle in prayer? I, I played a lot of sports in, in, in my childhood, growing up in school, played baseball first and played tennis, played football um, I played golf, everything with the ball I played. I, I avoided the pucks, and I, I avoided this sport called wrestling. Um, and I avoided wrestling for a couple reasons. Number one is the singlet. Now, if you know wrestling, they wear this, this, this really interesting outfit that's, that's, that's body-hugging, and frankly, I says, I'm not going to walk around in a singlet in my school. Now, no, uh, just know, if you ever pick on a big guy, a big wrestler in a singlet, in three seconds, he's going to take you down with a, with a, and put a half Nelson on you until you cry out, uncle, and hand over your lunch money. I mean, that's what he's going to do to you. So don't pick on But I just figured I like the baggy shorts. I like the, I like the tank tops or the, or the baseball uh, clothes. But, you know, just the singlet, that, that's not me. But, but the other reason I didn't like wrestling was the guys are always sweaty. Always. I mean, they were running halls. They were lifting weights. They were on the mat grappling with each other, saying, like, man, you guys never get to, like, shoot around, shag a few balls. You know, some things other sports get to do, you know, smack a few drives. No, you're always working and sweating. I just don't like that. And so I've never been too much into wrestling, but I recognize that when you think of prayer like wrestling, it sends several messages. Number one is it's going to take a lot of effort. You're going to have to put a lot of effort into this. Effort is energy used to accomplish something. And when you look at the people who prayed and got great results in Scripture, guys like Elijah, it says he prayed earnestly. 
You look at Jesus, it says he prayed fervently. You look at Samuel, and it says at one time he prayed all through the night. I mean, that's effort in prayer. They're giving it time. They're giving it physical energy. They're making it a priority. It takes effort. Prayer requires us to put in the work. In another place, Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. See we, see, we see prayer as kind of a condiment on the side. We can add a little bit. It'll help things taste better. It'll help life go better. But, but what if Jesus says this? Do you know what? Prayer is the igniter of a heavenly blessing. You will not do anything significant unless you first bathe it in prayer. What if, what if God says, I would do far more in your life if you took this thing called prayer far more seriously? Because Jesus said that we would actually do greater things than him as we pray to him because he goes to the Father on our behalf. And I think that many of us approach prayer like a hobby instead of our occupation. What's the difference? Well, think of a sport like golf. A lot of you are hackers, right? You go out to the golf course, smack a few balls around. That's not your occupation. That's something you just do when it's convenient, when it fits in your schedule, and you do it for fun. But the serious golfers that make their living golfing, they are golfing even when they don't feel like it. They're, they're, they're constantly working on their drive and walk, working on their putting and their chip shots and their grips and, and everything. They're, they're fine-tuning their skills. Same thing with basketball, any other sport. The athlete is constantly working on things behind the scene, shooting hundreds of free throws. You know, doing things that for the average person says, I'm not going to do that. I just want to go play the game because it's a hobby. And I think prayer oftentimes for many of us is like that. Are, are your prayers like emails now, God, here's my prayer request, send. In Jesus' name, send. Goes up to heaven. We forget about it, move on with our day, and we come back the next day. Hey, remember that email I sent you yesterday about that prayer request? Let's, let me send another one. Another reminder, resend. Is, is, it, is prayer like sending emails, or is it an ongoing conversation that never seems to end? That's a difference in prayer, because, because if, if all it is is an email, I'll, I, sus, I, I suspect this is true. You're more concerned about getting your will than finding his will. Because when you converse with God, when you dialogue with God, all of a sudden the things you're praying about start to change and morph, and all of a sudden you find yourself praying more for his will to be done than your own will to be done. Prayer requires work and discipline. It's not a desperation 911 call to God to come in and just rescue me, though God does respond to those kinds of prayers of desperation at times. But prayer is meant to be an ongoing dialogue with a father, and it takes effort. It takes the kind of effort that says, I'm not going to give up. You don't give up when you wrestle in prayer. If prayer is like a vending machine that I keep popping quarters in and then I say, it just doesn't work. It's just not getting the results I want. That maybe you're missing the purpose of prayer. Because prayer isn't so much to change God, it's to change us. And God wants to work in our hearts as we seek him. What do we want most of all, my will or his will? Remember Jesus in the garden when he prayed and he said, God, this is my will. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to suffer like that. The cup is too much for me to drink. But not my will, yours be done. Is that where you end in this dialogue with God that sometimes starts off casually and then it gets into intensity and sometimes feel like I'm debating and arguing with God, but in the end, God, this is what I desire. This is what I want more than anything. I want to see this happen. But God, in the end, what I want most of all is your will to be done. Is that where you move to in prayer? Refusing to give up. I remember the very first time that I actually wrestled. Now, I wrestled in my home as a kid. You know, I had two bigger brothers, 
And we wrestled on the carpet floor. And really, any, it, was, it was no rules. No rules. You could do anything. You, you, could, you could grab, pinch, hurt, do anything like that until mom walked in the room and mom enforced different rules. Be nice to your brother. But in high school, I remember in PE class my sophomore year, we had a segment of the class that was on wrestling. We're all going to get to wrestle. We're all going to get on the mat with somebody. And the guy that I was going to get on the mat with was actually the guy that I thought, of all the kids in, this, in my class, he's the one I want to wrestle. He, was a, 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 he wasn't a real manly guy. I'll put it mildly. He, he couldn't throw a football, couldn't shoot a basketball, wasn't athletic at all, and I figured, man, I'm going to take him down in no time at all. So we get on the, on the mat, and uh, we're wrestling around, and I'm realizing within like 30 seconds, like, this is going to be harder than I thought. And I realize he's, he's as stiff as a board. I can't bend him. He just won't, he just won't, he's not flexible. I can't turn him over on his back. In fact, um, he's putting up a pretty good fight. And my, my goal shifted from pinning him to avoiding getting pinned. Because that would have been an extreme embarrassment. You got pinned by Ricky? Oh, man, I can't believe that. And so I'm just saying, Lord, help me survive. Help me survive. Help me not to get pinned. You know, I'm just fighting. And here's what I realize. There is not a moment that I can relent. You can't just kind of take a break in the middle of a wrestling match. Or you get pinned. And so you're, you're, you're constantly exerting. You just cannot give up when you're wrestling. It makes me think of prayer. Prayer is not giving up. In fact, Jesus said once when he was telling this parable of the widow that came back to the judge again and again and again, the verse that led into that parable was this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and what? Not give up. He doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to keep pressing on. That's why Paul said in, in, when he wrote to the Thessalonian church to pray continually. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's not an email you're sending to God. It's it's something that sometimes you have to press through. In fact, sometimes I think God's saying, are you serious about this? Is that what you really want because you gave up so soon? And we wrestle with God and we go back and forth and we push, push, push. And I think sometimes we quit just, just, just before the breakthrough. That God is waiting for us to break through and he says, I give up. But he says, don't give up. Keep coming back again and again. Here's something else that we, that we learn from the sport of wrestling is that when you pray, employ multiple tactics. In, in wrestling, there are a number of moves, probably 15, 20 moves that if a wrestler masters, um, he can do extremely well. In fact, he can defeat an opponent who's bigger and stronger if he knows these moves well, if he knows how to put the arm bar and the half Nelson and, and these carries and all that. There's, there's moves for takedowns. There's moves for um, pinning your opponent. There's moves for getting out from under your opponent, from, uh, moves for avoiding a pin. There are moves for how to, how to um, get on top of a stronger uh, opponent. There's all these kind of moves, and if you can master them, you have the upper hand. Well, I think prayer is a lot like that. We sometimes approach prayer with, with one tactic. Prayer is asking. Another word, longer word for asking is supplication. I'm just going to ask God what I want. I mean, that's prayer, right? It is prayer, but it's only one facet of prayer. There are many other facets of prayer. In, first, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we are to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, all kinds of prayers. Well, what kinds of prayers are there? Well, let me just tell you. There's praise. Praise is adoring God for who He is, His attributes, character. There's thanksgiving. It's, it's actually thanking God for what he's done. There's confession, which is laying before the Lord our sins. There's lamentation, which is crying out to God in the midst of our pain. 
There's declaration, which is standing on the truth of God's word. There's intercession, which means we stand before God on behalf of other people. There's consecration, in which we devote ourselves to God's greater purpose. I mean, if you, if you employ all these different tactics in prayer, you find that, man, an hour can go by like that. If all we're doing is asking, 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 that gets kind of old. Not only for us, but I think it gets old for God as well. Pray with all kinds of tactics. And just like a golfer or, or a musician fine-tunes different parts of their game or their, or their trade, work on those different aspects of your prayer life to become good at those things. Not just good at asking, good at intercession, good at praise, good at confession, good at consecration. Work to have a well-rounded prayer life. But here's, I think, the greatest message from this concept of wrestling in prayer is that we will sometimes suffer in the midst of our prayers. Prayer can be painful. The word for wrestle in Greek, I don't like to throw a lot of fancy words out to you, but, but get this. The word for wrestle is the word agonizomai. Agonizomai. Agony. Agony. When you think of agonizing in prayer, it takes on a whole different meaning. Some of the Bibles that you might have don't, don't use the word, um, he's always resting for you in prayer. Some of, you will, some of your Bibles say he's laboring for you. He's striving for you. It has to do with this, this, this deep energy and effort put into it and that sometimes is, is hurtful and painful. I mean, think of it. He's laboring for you in prayer. Now, guys, we don't understand this as much, but all of you moms know what laboring to have a child is like. It's not a walk in the park, is it? It's painful. It's beautiful, but it's painful. It's agonizomai. Well, think of prayer like that. And we see a picture of that, I believe, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is in the garden, here's what happens. Jesus knows he's going to go to the cross. He knows what awaits him. So it says, He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And the other Gospels share that the disciples kept falling asleep. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. They were, they were having a difficult time staying focused. But Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Now, you can just read that casually, but I don't think that's how Jesus prayed it. Because it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. He's getting sapped. He's getting exhausted praying this prayer. And then it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Have you ever prayed so hard, so painfully that you had your sweat turn red because your capillaries are bursting? Now, I don't know if anybody has ever prayed that intensely, but Jesus is because of what he's going to face at the cross. And I wonder how often that we actually agonize in prayer. Those times when maybe you're on your knees by your bed and you're just weeping for your kids because they don't know the Lord. You're crying out for God that, God, we have to hear from you. We can't figure this out. I need to know your will. How often do you, do you get that intense in prayer or is prayer usually just as casual? Your Lord, bless this. Hope you come through, Lord. That there's a value in working at prayer and wrestling in prayer. And I think God oftentimes is waiting to see how serious we are. I think God's very serious. I think God wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. He's just wondering if we want it as bad as he wants it for us. And you know those times where you're on your knees or there's tears flowing or your body's shaking in prayer? It's very humbling. It's very humbling. 
It reduces you down to, to this, this small person looking up to a big God. But isn't that the place where God says, I will lift you up? God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. I love what Mark DuPont says in his book on prayer, Pursuing Open Heavens. He says, prayer by very nature repels the proud because in essence to pray, to seriously pray, is to recognize that what we need the most only God can provide. So let me just be very clear. Prayer is not for the faint of heart. Prayer is not for the casual hobbyist. Prayer is hard work and sometimes very painful work. So that's what wrestling looks like, but, but who are we wrestling against? Who is the other person we're wrestling with? Well, I think the Bible gives three different answers to that. Number one is Satan, the devil. Every time God is trying to take over new territory or you're trying to yield new territory to God, it's territory that used to belong to him, Satan, and he wants it back. He does not give up easily. And maybe you've experienced that in your life. You try to work on your marriage. You try to work on your finances. You try to work on your thought life. You're establishing some new habits, and it feels like there's resistance. You ever feel that? This resistance pushing against you? It's called Satan. He's not going to give up easily. He has this kingdom called the kingdom of darkness. He likes to be in charge. And so when you say, I don't want to be part of your kingdom anymore, I'm taking all my stuff and moving it over to God's kingdom, he says, wait wait a minute. I'm not giving it up that easily. And he will fight you for it. And how does he fight? Well, we learned a couple months ago. He whispers lies in your head. He whispers distortions of God's truth. God won't do that for you. God doesn't do that anymore. You lost the privilege for that. God doesn't care about you. We didn't know that God God gives us the strength to stand up. And that's why we're reminded in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the um, rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some of your Bibles, in fact, the King James Bible says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, some of you stop at the first part of that verse, we wrestle not. You don't want to wrestle. You don't want to get in the tussle with the enemy. But he says, just know you have a spiritual enemy that you are going to do battle with. Just be prepared. And at the end of that section of Scripture, he talks about all these um, items to put on, all these uh, pieces of armor Helmet of salvation, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith. But then he says, here's two offensive weapons you have. Number one, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Number two, he just plainly says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You have these two things, the Word of God and prayer. And friends, those two work together powerfully to engage in the spiritual battle. There's another opponent that we wrestle with quite often, and frankly, um, you see it in the mirror every day. It's yourself. We wrestle with self. David says in the book of Psalms, this this cry, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night and have uh, sorrow in my heart? How long must I wrestle with me? You know, one of my greatest battles in prayer isn't the enemy. It's not Satan. It's me. My worries, my concerns, my distractions. I mean, I've learned that the best time for me to pray is the first thing in the morning. First thing. And you know what happens the first thing I get up? There's this itching desire to check my text messages and email. Or you know what? I go to bed playing a game called Words with Friends. I have some people I've played with many, many months. And so I always clear my slate at the end of the day. I've made my last move to shut my computer down, my iPad. I go to bed. When I wake up, there's this curiosity. I wonder what they played next. Just going to take a peek. 
oh, they played this, they're going to play back now. And, and pretty soon I'm wrapped up in a game and, and my mind is drifting. Or I check my email and I'm, I'm caught up in the other emails that showed up. Or I have a text message and I get engaged in the conversation with another person. All the time's gone by. I don't have time to pray. So what I found for me is if I pray first, get a cup of coffee, a, a cup of tea, sit down and pray. That even when I'm praying, I start getting these thoughts. Call so-and-so. Make sure you pay this bill. Make sure you do this today. All these things start to come up. I've just learned if I have a little notepad right there or a piece of paper, I can unload the brain stuff that comes up. I just write it down. I'll deal with that later, but I need to remember that thing. Put it there. Put it there. Put it there. I'm clearing away the distractions because I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to prayer. I'm battling with myself and the thoughts and the temptations and the distractions. And probably you're like that too. We are wrestling with ourselves in prayer. So it's, it takes work to, to say, no, no. I'm going to carve this space out because naturally, you, we do not gravitate to work. Just think about the gym. If you don't make a commitment the night before to go to the gym in the morning, you probably aren't going to do it. If you wake up saying, do I feel like going to the gym today, that, that, the, the most frequent answer will be what? No, I don't feel like going to the gym today. Do I feel like praying today? Not really, but I need to pray. If you only pray when it feels like it, you are not going to grow in your prayer life. You make it a commitment. You make it a discipline because you know that if you're faithful, it God will um, bless those prayers. Prayer works when we work at prayer. But here's who we wrestle with as well, and this may be the most surprising. We wrestle with God. Wrestle with God. There's a story in the Old Testament of a man named Jacob, and Jacob um, had a brother Esau, and they had some conflicts between one another, and Jacob ended up wandering for 20 years, and he decides he's going to return home. But he knows that trouble awaits him. He knows that, there are, that his brother's coming with a band of 400 men, and it's not a welcoming committee. It's an army to defeat him. And so Jacob is disturbed, and here's what he does. It says in Genesis 32, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants and 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, what does Israel mean? Footnote of my Bible says he struggles with God. He wrestles with God. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. God came in a physical form to wrestle with Jacob, not to crush Jacob but ultimately to bless Jacob. See, Jacob that night moved everybody else across that stream to say, I need time alone. I need to process this. Probably spend some time praying to God. What he, the last thing on his mind was, I need to spend the whole night wrestling with the guy. But the very thing he truly needed was to get close to God. To shift his focus from the fear that was in front of him to the person who was with him. And I believe that God often puts you and me in a place where we wrestle with God. 
and get our eyes off of the, of the issues out there, the fears, the concerns, the worries, and says, you wrestle with me right now because when you wrestle with God, you get very intimate. I know that because when, when I have my grandson on Fridays, probably every four or five hours, there's a little ritual that we have to go through. It's called changing of the diaper. And, and I change his diaper, do it as quick as I can, and uh, inevitably after I change his diaper while he's laying on the bed, I will put my body over him and begin wrestling with him. And he'll put his little feet up against me, and I will lean heavily against him while he's exercising his, his little leg muscles. He's going to be a linebacker one day. He's got these big thighs. And, uh, you know, he's smiling. He's laughing. And then we wrestle there and tickle. And you know what? It's a time of intimacy with him. And I believe that God says, I want to wrestle with you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not making it hard for you to be blessed by me. I want to be intimate with you. I want you to be in love with me and spending time with me. Don't see this as opposition. See this as opportunity. Your opportunity to look at me face to face and know that I am a God who will work all things out for good if you trust me. And Jacob left that night of wrestling with God with confidence that God was with him. And maybe you're wrestling with God over an issue, over an unanswered prayer, over a struggle in your life, and God keeps trying to grab your face and say, look at me, we're going to wrestle through this together. And it may be all night long that we're wrestling, but ultimately, I want to bless you. See, I think so often in our lives, we, we desire what's comfortable, and we seek that place. And God says, you're not going to get what I want to give you by sitting in a place of comfort. My wife, Julie, a couple years ago, felt called by God to go to the mission field for an extended mission trip. Not just a one-week or two-week trip, but actually for um, a couple months. And so um, last fall, about this time, she decided, I'm going to go now. I, I believe God wants me to go to Indonesia. I need to raise some money. And honestly, I was a little bit nervous for her because I know she likes to sleep in her own bed. I know she likes the comforts of home. I know she likes to be around me and the grandkids and all that kind of stuff. I know uh, what she's like. But for her to break free from that for two months, to live in a room that's got an uncomfortable bed and the, and the toilet is a hole in the ground, this is, this is not going to be comfortable. And she's going to have to raise $6,000. God's going to have to come through because we don't have that kind of money. And you know what? God blessed as she wrestled through that and clung to the promise that God is behind us. God is leading me. We have a couple staff members, Jake Ainsworth and Doris Rivera Black. In the last uh, several weeks, they've been wrestling with God in prayer over an opportunity they have that, and a leading by God. They believe it's from the Lord to say, we want you, I want you to go and help, help plan a church. And as we've talked with them, we re- recognize the fact that you have a comfortable job here. You, you have things that are going really well and that you like here. But in, the, in their heart of hearts, it says, I want what's more, I want, I want what's comfortable. It's comfortable to stay. It's desirable to obey. Because it's the place of obedience, the place of stepping out in faith where we have to say, God, I'm not, I, I don't desire comfort. I, I desire your favor. And you tell us in Scripture that what makes you most happy is when we walk by faith. And so they're stepping out in faith. See, just like Jacob says, God, I want to be in that place where I cling to you and and hold fast to you, saying, God, you've got to be in this. You've got to be the one to bless me. Because there are promises God makes in Scripture, promises of what he wants to do in your life. God never promises to meet your will or my will, but here's what he promises, to fulfill his will as we pray. In fact, Jesus says, I will answer prayers if it's according to God's will. So I just want to tell you, hold tightly to that which God has promised that which God has promised. Things like this. God promises to give peace that passes understanding when we cast our cares upon him. God promises to meet all of our needs as we 
Trust in him. God promises to raise you from the dead spiritually if you surrender your life to Christ. He promises to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death because he is with you. He promises to fill your barns to overflowing when you honor him with the first fruits of your wealth. He promises to direct your path when you trust him with all your heart. He promises rest for your soul when you come to him and pour your cares upon him. So what is it that God has promised to you? What is it that God has promised you that you've let kind of slip out of your hands? I want to ask you today, grab it back. Grab that promise back and say, God, you promised. Do you know what I love, as Matt was sharing earlier, it just made me think of a verse in the book of Romans. Chapter 10, he starts off this saying, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. Is it God's will that all be saved? Is it God's will that your parents, your friends, your children be saved? Then why would you ever let go of that? That's God's desire. That's God's will. Don't let go of it. 